I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, they are regulars. Austin Karp is the managing editor slash digital sports business journal. Chad Finn is the fine sports media writer for the Boston Globe. No big introductions. We'll just get right into it. Welcome, Chad. Welcome, Austin. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me back. All right, awesome. We're going to go. Oh, awesome! Of course, front and center carp. That's what I call you on this podcast. <laughs> we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start with you, Austin, uh, and then Chad. Please respond after Austin gives us some stats. All right. So I, uh, I'm stealing absolutely from you, Austin. The NBA's first round playoff viewership: three point four million across ABC, ESPN, ESPN two, TNT, and NBA TV. That's up fifteen percent. From the previous year, so 3.4 million viewers for the first round of the NBA, mm-hmm. up from 3 million the year before, up from 2.7 million in 2021. The coup de gras first round closes out last Sunday. Warriors Kings 9.8 million viewers on ABC. From your perspective, what does all this mean? I think it's huge. I think it's a. a I think the NBA is going to be happy with the narrative for sure because they were coming off a regular season where they were down a little bit and everyone's like, Oh, nobody watches anything but the Lakers and the Warriors. Well, in the playoffs, that really helps. And that's what happened here. When you have the Lakers going six, when you have the Warriors going seven, that paid off in a big way for the best first round audience for the NBA since 2014. Um, And that number for that final Kings Warriors game, I mean, that's a, that's a top 50, television audience on all of tv this year to date and that's how big that is and it's a first round game this isn't an nba finals game it's not game seven of the conference finals this was a first round series with not a big market on the other side in sacramento so in the playoffs steph lebron continue to be big for the nba and this series you saw game one coming off of, you know on tnt the best second round game one ever on cable. If this thing goes six or seven, man, TNT or, or ABC or ESPN are going to benefit in a big way. So Austin, my, I'm, not, I'm sorry. So Chad, my take on this, at least sort of like top line is twofold. One, um, as Austin said, the NBA has got to be like beyond overjoyed at this. These are monster numbers after what was generally speaking a flat year. Um, so the interest is there when it comes to certain teams. The second thing is, if you look at these playoffs, uh, Warriors and Lakers, it shows you just how important like 
or how mega stardom still uh, people like LeBron James and Steph Curry have. On the opposite side, you have a New York market now uh, with the Knicks. Knicks Heat is a pretty good rivalry, I think, that people maybe reminisce about in the 90s. In your neck of the woods, Celtic Sixers, two massive East Coast television cities with stars like Embiid, MVP, and Jason Tatum. So I think at least my, one of my top-line things is that it, the stars of the NBA still sell nationally. Like, I think what this postseason is making clear is that is still the case. Oh, hell yeah. Can you imagine the response in the, uh, the NBA offices uh, with no cameras and microphones around when they realized that they were getting Steph LeBron in round two in the LA market and the Warriors team that is national? Uh, and has been for nearly a decade now in terms of their appeal. Um, you couldn't have lined up the second round of the playoffs better uh, from a from an NBA standpoint here, um, just in terms of the teams that are playing in the matchups. You mentioned uh, Heat Knicks. I mean, the the nostalgia for that was uh, instant after those two teams. Uh, we the two teams advanced the second round and we realized they were going to be playing each other. Um, Celtics fans historically, uh, I mean, the Lakers are their uh, rival when it comes to finals, but the Sixers, they have even more history with them. That's a, a really contentious rivalry uh, with a lot of, um, a lot of really memorable things going back to the, to the sixties. Uh, so uh, the, the NBA has to be thrilled, even in the Western. I mean, you look at the Western conferences, other matchup, you have Durant and Booker on one team and you have probably the best team in the West that nobody pays attention to in Denver uh, with a guy who could have been the league MVP for three straight years. And they are the fourth most interesting team in the Western conference right now. So uh, it's just all lined up beautifully for the NBA and uh, the, the coinciding ratings that we saw for the first round and that we're going to see for the second round are no surprise. You know, it's interesting, Austin, and I think, you know, you'll, you'd obviously have as good a perspective on this as anything, is you're going to get one of the power viewership teams going through with either the Lakers or Warriors, depending on who wins that series. In the East, you're getting either the Sixers or the Celtics in the conference final. Those are massive viewership teams. Um and if you get the Knicks, I think that's a big-time viewership team. The Heat are a little you – know, Miami, I think you would agree, is sort of a weird team when it comes to television viewership. Um, but here's the thing. If you sort of look forward – and the NBA is obviously never going to say this. The one team that I don't have a great feel for, and quite frankly, my feel would be that the finals would not necessarily pop because if this team's in it, is Denver. So I think like if you are looking at a dream matchup right now, if you're the NBA – I think you obviously want Lakers slash Warriors against either the Sixers slash Celtics. Maybe somebody might say New York, and I might be able to buy that, just given Knicks being in the finals, first time in forever early years. But that's that's how I see it. I think the one team, and no offense to them as a basketball team, they're phenomenal. Denver just doesn't feel like a national team to me, but Austin, you can convince me I'm wrong on that. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that would be a blow to the ratings, Denver versus <laughs> anybody. <laughs> That's just the way the, the way it is. It's, uh, you know, Jokic for all his greatness and for all Jamal Murray's greatness and for how deep that team is there. If you're, I'm a basketball fan. I love watching Denver play, but it's just not going to pop nationally. They don't have that superstar that drives the numbers like Steph or LeBron. I think ideally if you're sitting in New York, I think you want to see Knicks versus Lakers or Knicks versus, you know, I'm, 
the, the Warriors, excuse me. Uh, last year, I, I, I don't like we've talked about this. Celtics Warriors didn't pop the way I thought it would. So I think that they would like to see, you know, a return of the Knicks to the finals for the first time since the 90s against one of those, you know, superstar led teams, I think would do well in the numbers. Chad, how is uh, how are the Celtics doing locally? Uh, very well. I mean, it's been kind of interesting because um, their play-by-play voice in the first round couldn't travel because he had uh, retina injury, so he couldn't fly. So they used two analysts during the broadcast, which uh, ratings-wise led to uh, being very close in the market between locally and TNT. It was, uh, they, they were both right in that 5-6 range in terms of share. Uh, whereas normally, I think if people are happy with the broadcasts, the local broadcasts would have done a lot better than the national one. That's the way it seems to to trend here anyway. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm trying to think of what the most appealing matchup for the NBA is. And uh, Rich, I'm, sh- I, I'm sure you've heard this and probably have even said it, but a lot of people <laughs> seem to think that the NBA is better when the Knicks are interesting. So that might be part of it. I think Lakers Celtics, uh, from my regional standpoint, would be fascinating. And uh, you know, we had that in 2008 and 2010, and uh, both were pretty compelling series. 28, 2018, too, right? Wasn't that Lakers Celtics? 2018. Right Did we? 2018? No, Celtics haven't been back. No. Oh, who am I thinking? But, I, but there's also not Kobe this time. And, uh, you know, Kobe was yeah. such a big draw. I am not, you know, obviously Lakers versus Celtics is one of the biggest draws you can ask for in the NBA. I, I just don't think that, I mean, there is LeBron this time. I just don't know it would draw that level of interest that, during the Kobe years. Yeah. Wow. I was way off. Sorry. That was Warriors Cavs 4-0. I don't know what I was, maybe I was, I think Celtics are always on the, yeah. on the 2010. You're right. Chad, 2010 is, yeah. Yeah. is Lakers Celtics. That's that went seven. Um, so obviously the ratings were through the roof, but I don't who who just said this Austin like with yeah Kobe it's very different without Kobe it's just uh well there's LeBron fatigue there too LeBron. I mean he's there a every year yeah yeah I'm just saying like I I think um I think as a television draw I mean I you know I mean LeBron's obviously been a massive television I mean Kobe Bryant was a massive television draw um so yeah you know I think the NBA has some good hands here some really really good hands the the only do they want Knicks Lakers? I think they would love it. Honestly, the only bad hand, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. the only bad hand viewership wise they really would get would be Nuggets Heat. That's that's you don't want that. That's that's not a win. That's a, yeah, that's just a <laughs> that's no just offense. Not a, to, not a win. You know, God bless you if you're listening from Miami and Denver, and trust me when I say I appreciate it. But uh, that that's just not going to pop nationally. It's just not. And um, now the little caveat on all this stuff is if it goes seven. You're going to get a big viewership because it's Game 7. Game 7s in every sport will pop. But I think if you're the NBA, you got some really potentially great combinations depending on who comes in. Um, I really like Philly as a as a viewership town. Um, we'll see if my instincts are right on that if the Sixers get through. What are they, the fourth market? Are they the fourth yeah, biggest? Yeah, they're just like the, pa- the, the fans are just insanely passionate. You know, it's like Buffalo where they over-index, except it's over-indexing in a massive city. So right. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. All right, let's got to grease those pole, light poles. Yeah, there. let's turn to hockey. Austin, I'll go back to you. Very good. this again. Great stories for the NBA and the NHL. NHL's average viewer. This again, right from Austin Carp. NHL's average viewership uh, during the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs: nine hundred and fourteen thousand viewers across ABC, ESPN, ESPN two, TNT, and TBS. 
second best uh, viewership number on record for the NHL, up 19% from last year. I will ask you the same question, Austin. What do you extrapolate from that? You know, a lot of people like to give credit for saying like, oh, there were a couple of games on ABC this year. They're in the first round. Last year, which was the first year of this new media rights pack, no first round games were on broadcast TV. But even if you take out those two ABC games, they were up big, up double digits. So you got to give the NHL a lot of credit here. People were tuning in. You had some good matchups. You had some big markets. You had the two New York teams, New York market teams going at it. So that helped out. Uh, it, it was. I didn't see this coming. I didn't see a huge increase like this coming. And I think it's a win for the NHL. It's a win for Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery, year two of this deal, showing this sort of game, showing increases among young demos. You had huge increases you know, among kids. You had huge in- increases among females. So I think it's just all around just a solid win for the NHL in the first round. Chad, do you have any thoughts? I mean, the reality is, like, this is, a, generally speaking, a regional sport. Um but that's a really good number. I mean, almost a million per game. I would think that some of this, at least from my perspective, is Bruins going seven. So you had a massive like number for that um, for that game seven against Florida. Uh, you did have the Rangers, as Austin said, and I think that's going to bring a little bit of a pop in terms of viewership. But um, it's a good number. I I. I, I you know, my 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 take on it is that I think they have a pretty good product, and I think they got, at least as a viewership play, lucky in that the historic team, the Boston Bruins, played a Game 7, which I think probably drew some viewership uh, from outside of Boston and Florida just because people were curious if this team was going to win or lose. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as we're concerned here, hockey season's over, but... Um... <laughs> I, I, the league would obviously like to see Boston uh, still going, uh, being a rating straw rather than Florida. And if you look at who's left, uh, I'm curious to see how things trend from here on out. Because if you're just talking most appealing Stanley Cup final matchup without uh, viewership and ratings involved, it's probably Edmonton against Toronto, just for the story that Toronto it would be even getting there. I mean, hell, winning a first round this year was progress. Um uh, you'd have great history and the best player in the game uh, in McDavid there, but two Canada teams. Um, oh, wow. I don't know what the uh, uh, I don't know what the 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 best case scenario is for the NHL going forward. Here is it uh, uh, I, 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 in New Jersey? I I, I don't know. Yeah, the well, Kraken making a run? What is it? Las Vegas? That's why I want to get with Austin. So Austin, um, as our viewership. Uh, person here i look around i don't think the nhl has a great hand here um heading forward uh, no, i think uh not not particularly chad is um, chad is absolutely I mean, right let, in terms of like the maple leafs oilers would be an incredible series in terms of star power and great hockey mm-hmm. but for hockey fans not for it's television it's a disaster in no, this, and manitoba would be fantastic right, it's a disaster right, in the u.s because right. they're not getting you you can't lose two cities in viewership and expect something. So awesome. When you look around, like you got a thought on this. I, I mean, my, this is just a pure guess on my part. I think you'd want Seattle if you're in the NHL just for that market. But like, I can't necessarily connect the team against Seattle in the East. That's going to be a big viewership play. I think Vegas um, is, would be number, my number one from the West right now. 
but I mean, the, 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 like you said, they're staring down the barrel of some not. What do you do? It. What do you what, like? Who are you rooting for in the East if you're the NHL on a viewership play? Oh, There's nobody. The de- no offense to the Devils. Honestly, the Devils. The Devils the are not. I think you want the Devils aren't the Rangers. You want Toronto? Yeah. I think if you're going to have a Canadian market, if you're going to have two Canadian markets, now is the year because you know everyone needs to remember the NHL Stanley Cup Final is going to cable TV. That's this right. Year. Great point. Okay, so you are already potentially eyeing a record low at Stanley Cup final. So if you're going to have Oilers Maple Leafs, let's just get it all out at once. <laughs> well, how, how, how soon are we going to be hearing from Warner Bros. Discovery PR people on this one? Now, listen, like you're going to, you know, no offense <laughs> to those guys. Shout out David Zaslav. But uh, you're not getting... Uh, you're not going to get the same viewership that you're going to get on like an over-the-air no, ABC. And then just numbers. and it's compounded this year because I don't think you have a big viewership team on either side. So I think mm-hmm. um, the reality is, and again, let's wait and see. We got a long way to go, but we could be looking, Austin, at some very low numbers on the, on the, uh, on the Stanley Cup final this year. Yeah. And it's it, like, you know, I'm even a, I'm, I consider myself the most casual of hockey fans. And yeah, I would, I would tune in to watch Oilers Maple Leafs yep, knowing that there's just incredible talent on both sides there. And, but even if that, that, that would need to go seven to, to probably avoid some sort of record low up against probably a sweep that aired on a combination of NBC and NBCSN or versus back in the day. Yeah. It's interesting because <laughs> conversely where I live, that series would do eight, nine, ten million in Canada. I mean, it would get, and that's what the league would play up. Yeah, it would, would get it would, some sort of record number north of the border. Oh, yeah, and that, you know, it, you, it's a PR game, and that's what it is. Like, if you can say, like, yeah, well, we draw, we did draw a record number in Canada, where they have a separate media rights deal. Yeah, that, I mean, that's something to talk about. They would get the country is uh, a little under thirty-eight million. Um, if a game seven happened. I think we'd be ta- we'd be getting close to twenty. I mean, they would. This would be like a Super Bowl, but in terms of for the American rights holders, which which the NHL caters to certainly more than Rogers up here, it, it it's that's not a series they want. I mean, that's just the reality of it. If you're Turner, um, I think that's that's a tough one. Unless it goes seven, and maybe you know you get a big game seven pop, but that's that's gonna that series. Mm-hmm. Would be tough. I'm rooting for it. Uh, I think they'll take the early win. Like it was really strong. And you know, you talk about some of these numbers they were able to draw. I mean, that's without the benefit, these numbers, those ne- that close to a million viewers, that's without the benefit of the RSN numbers in a place like Boston where it probably did gangbusters. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. yeah. No Chicago this year, no Philly. I mean, you know, there's some very traditional big time hockey markets in the US that are not part of these um playoffs, although you did get the Rangers. Which is which is a nice pop and um, uh, so yeah uh, th- again I'll be I'm actually kind of uh, you know I'm very into hockey obviously because I'm living in a city now it, where they're into it but I'm really interested. intrigued I'm, yeah I'm inter- I mean I'm really interested to see the hockey viewership numbers as we head forward from here uh, also the Canadian I, me- I, media deals coming up soon too go ahead Chad sorry I, I, this is random kind of but do you do you remember what the uh viewership was in canada for the gold medal game in 2010 uh any idea yeah well, you said you the 38 million people you mentioned just made that uh jump out because i feel like it had to be about 37 million yeah i mean it wasn't like that kind of insane but um i'll see if i can find it. i believe if i'm right about this 
You know, that game, by the way, did crazy numbers on NBC, if you remember. Yeah. Like, like, uh, that game did didn't that game do like 20 something million, million viewers? What's that? Holy cow, yeah, yeah. I it it, it drew, um, that, yeah, okay. The game on scale that's way better than the Super Bowl, yeah. The game on it was on nine national networks in Canada in eight different languages, 16.6 million, which was half the population at the time. That's that's a that's awesome, yeah. by the way. That's a great number for the U.S. Holy cow. Yeah, you know that's 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 a divi- that's an NFL divisional playoff game. Um, it is. Yeah. So, um, well, there you go. That's the that's what the NHL needs. They need U.S. versus Canada in this in the Stanley Cup Finals. All right, we'll finish up. On, we'll finish up on a couple of different things. Oh yeah, one thing, one more viewership thing before we get to some unfortunately ugly news. Uh, Austin, as our uh, I shouldn't keep saying as our viewership guy because you're not that because you're front and center carp. So I, I am front and center carp. Right. Three months, <laughs> three months after the Super Bowl, Fox and Nielsen decide, oh, we we got a Super Bowl record here. What'd you think of the fact that mm-hmm. the Nielsen acknowledges that they made an error, and now Fox has the most viewed Super Bowl of all time. Well, they called the Georgia Secretary of State that said, find me 2 million viewers. <laughs> no. Um, this was a, it was an internal coding error where an NFL network feed was given viewers that should have been assigned to Fox. And yeah, it sucks that you found it four months after the Super Bowl, but let's just let's get the number right, I think was what the NFL and what Nielsen, when Fox wanted to do. So they all came out like, here's the new number. It's a record number. I mean, yeah, four months uh, after the Super Bowl, three months after the Super Bowl, whatever it is, is a lot to wait. But that was the reason why you saw it. I mean, this this was on the, the right side of the ESPN.com homepage. Like, oh, new record for a Super Bowl. So I, I think they did a good job of getting the message out. But you obviously want to tell that the week after the Super Bowl, not the first week in May. Yeah, listen, I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, to be totally candid, uh, myself and my colleague at The Athletic, Bill Shea, got a call from uh, – Fox Sports, uh, or maybe a text officially from Fox Sports T- PR ahead of time asking if we wanted to uh, write about this and making their um, executives available, which we did do. Um, I'm sh- I know SBJ got that same call, Austin, because you guys always get that. And if you're Fox, Chad, you know, this isn't about making more money because the, the Super Bowl um, ad fees are what they are. You're gonna char- you, they, it, it's not based on the uh, viewership the year before. You're charging what you charge for 30-second commercials because it's the Super Bowl. But you, you've you dealt with these guys for a long time. This is a very big source of pride for all these different networks, and it's a very good marketing thing to be able to put out there that your network was the one that had the uh, largest Super Bowl audience of all time. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I think you can rationalize, you can kind of justify and say, well, it was a great game between – yeah, you know, Chiefs Eagles. A uh, lot of betting interest on that game uh, going both ways. Um, I, the the natural, I think, instinct when something is announced a couple of months after the fact is to be cynical about it. But but you, you know you can really look at it and uh, and and understand uh, you know how it did end up uh, in this spot and and take the uh, you know take the error for for what it's worth and uh, what it was. Yeah, no, and this one, I believe it. I mean, who on earth would like to start yeah. three and a half months later? Uh, let's call these media people to say we got a Super Bowl, right? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, if you're going to go through that process, if you're going to have Nielsen actually acknowledge it in the statement, um, you know, you're getting into David Duchovny, Jillian Anderson, X-File stuff if you think this is like a, um, you know, 
some 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 kind of secret mm-hmm. plot. No, it, it always sucks when it happens like this. It sucked when Carl Lewis got a gold medal days after Ben Johnson was stripped of it. Yeah. It's that sort of feeling. It, 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 it's not the same. Like, yeah, you won, but it's it just sucks that it has to happen after the fact. Right. Now, you know, we'll give our, our buddy Robert Seidman a shout out here. All of this stuff is pop, propped up now because of out-of-home viewing. Correct, Austin? So the reality is, in many ways... It's never going to be an apples to apples comparison anymore because we don't know what like Super Bowl 15 may have done in out of home viewing or Super Bowl 26 or whatever. So, you know, all the sports numbers are going to be amplified now with out of home viewing. And by the way, I I personally think that's great because I think sports has been undercounted for 50 years. But the reality is like you can never really know what the most Super Bowl watch of all time is because they only have brought this new metric in for the last three years. Well, the, yeah, the technology just wasn't there. And I, I've had to make my own piece with it. Like, it, it is unfortunate that we won't truly have that answer. But the technology just wasn't there. Okay, so it is what it is. And anything compared to a sporting event before the pandemic, yeah, you're seeing a, I mean, depending on the sport, it's more for football, college, and pro. You're seeing a significant spike there by including the out-of-home. Find me a sports bar on a Saturday or Sunday that isn't packed with people watching football games. Of course, the number is going to see a 10, even 15 or 20% bump sometimes. The Super Bowl, I mean, can you think of a bigger gathering for a football event? No. No, but it's getting like, yeah, but, but like my thought would be like, and again, you'll know, you never can get this answer, but just think of like the, uh, like the big events in the seventies and the eighties and how many people watch stuff in bars that you'll like, put it Mm -hmm. this way. I'll give you the perfect example. We will never absolutely get any kind of accurate count as to how many people watched the Miracle on Ice game. It was taped. Oh, no. So I'm talking about 8 o'clock. You just, there's right. no record yeah. of people going out to restaurants or going to their um, family's houses and like having parties or going to the airport. You know what I mean? Like I guarantee you that game, whatever the number is considered, the amount of people who watch that game, I would say add 10 mm-hmm. million more people. And that's probably the more accurate number. Well, that's one of the great things about sports. We can always play what if. I can play what if the Orioles didn't give a terrible seven-year deal to Chris Davis. I can speculate all day. <laughs> You're not happy? You got You should be happy. I mean, overjoyed. Grayson Rodriguez, Ryan Mancastle, Gunnar Henderson. You got a good young team there. I'm very happy now. Yeah, no, I get it. It's been a long drought. Uh, I love the American League East. Being um, in an ALE city, uh, we're all three of us are, in fact. Um, they're going to get four playoff teams. In, the, in that division this year. The Yankees won't be one of them? Well, you know, Chad, I, I, I don't want yeah, right to right. be a New York tabloid and start ripping on Brian Cashman in May. Um, let's see. I I think the Red Sox are not going to be that team, Chad. I hope to be wrong, but trust me, they've been rolling. They just rolled my Blue Jays, so you know maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I'm not in love with the Red Sox pitching long-term at the moment. You? No, they are... Uh, you know, they're a little over 500 and they're getting um, interests that uh, didn't look like they were going to have at the start of the season. Shaughnessy wrote them off after the first game, uh, <laughs> but um, they're kind of set to be what their best case scenario was, which was right on the fringe of the playoff race and playing interesting games in September that, uh, you know, keep people going to the ballpark well, I mean, again, if, if, and if, watching Nesson. Yeah, if Jaron Duran continues to be Willie Mays, I mean, they will be in the race. Guy changes his swing every year, yeah. so we'll see if this one <laughs> sticks. It's, it's interesting.
All right, let's finish up on a. We'll, get, we'll finish on the Derby, but I want to get you get to one thing before that. Man, uh, this has been a terrible month for media layoffs. ESPN, BuzzFeed News, Five Thirty Eight, ABC News, uh, National Geographic in twenty twenty three, and NPR, Sports Illustrated. Um, let me start with you, Chad, on this. Um, do you think in a twenty twenty three environment that a news site can be developed or formed let's say it has a sports component and succeed do you, like i guess what i'm trying to ask you is that like do are the days of trying to pull off like one of these national websites can you you think you could still do that um i mean i guess you could still do that if you take venture capitalist money but you know i'm just trying to i'd like to get your insight into like you think we're we're in a post sort of media world where that can't happen anymore and, and like the new places are more independent you know, sort of the Substack kind of economy. How do you, how do you see it? Because uh, this happened to be a particularly awful month for this. Well, um, it's all about appeasing the shareholders, right? So it de- de- depends uh, whether they're going to be comfortable with normal growth or uh, it has to just keep growing and growing and growing and growing, or uh, you start making cuts because you're not making enough. Um, you know enough money and and your stock stock prices off of that which uh seems to be the case in, in uh, ESPN's instance and other places uh which is frustrating um but yes i do think places can see uh, can succeed succeed they just need to be have realistic people in charge of them and people who aren't there to I mean, as you see with the news, a lot of newspapers are just there to gut the place and uh, sell off the parts and, and take whatever resources they have and uh, uh, cut those down and cut those down, cut those down until it's a skeleton crew uh, uh, making just a little bit of, um, you know, uh, allowing the ownership to make money, but not a quality product. So um, I do think it can su- succeed, but it's in- almost entirely dependent on who's in charge of it and what their motivations are. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I see the sort of venture capitalist backed uh, places are uh, always seem to end the the same way. The messenger is what I was thinking about because they're um, about to start mm-hmm. up uh, with a lot of journalists. So, yeah, I was a root for them to succeed um, long term. I I'm not sure I would bet on it in this environment, but I certainly hope. I will say this one thing about ESPN Austin, and I, you know, I covered Mike Soltis, who all three of us mm-hmm. worked with a couple weeks ago. Absolutely, just brutal, disgraceful uh, layoff uh, because of that guy's institutional knowledge as well as just his professionalism. But the one thing about ESPN and these cuts are from Disney; they're being pointed down to ESPN. It, 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 it all layoffs suck. It particularly sucks when you do them over waves, and I, I would hate to be an ESPN worker who now has to wait until whatever it's going to be, you know, like July or June for the second mm-hmm. round. Um, yeah, that sucks. Uh, and again, like maybe there's accounting reasons for that, that they're doing it in waves, but it, man, does that none of it's good, but I think in some ways it's probably better for everybody to know, as opposed to have to have this, you know, this thing hanging over your head for now, another month or two. No, nobody, nobody wants that sort of Damocles just kind of like wavering over them, just waiting for whatever is or may not be coming. It's, it's just a really crappy way to, to live. And, um, you know, speaking specifically about Mike Soltis, uh, I can't speak highly enough about Mike and what he's meant to me and my career and the work that I've been able to do with him. And I just I consider him a friend. 
And uh, yeah, just to see the way that that happened really sucks because uh, you will not find many people more professional and really just good at their job than Mike has been in the entire time that I've been doing this. Yeah. I mean, I said this two weeks ago and again, it's like, you know, Mike Seltis is going to be on different sides of the aisle of, uh, of all of us um, and was, and there were certainly a lot of things he didn't like that I wrote over the years. And I trust me, I'd hear from him, whether it be a text or email, but that guy was always professional when it came to dealing with yeah. journalists and that, Chad, I I know you worked with him. You worked work with him is a weird word. You know, he, he you you dealt with him as well. Um, that to me, like, always sort of separated people in the public relations business. It's like if you just sort of understood that it's there are times where like someone's going to write something that you don't like, and if you sort of if the relationship is professional and respectful, like you get through mm-hmm. those times because so much of what is written is is public is publicity for your network. Right. Like I don't hear from ESPN when I write a piece like about one of their people who I really, really like, you know, and and publish it. It's usually you hear like when you write something that's negative. So it, it does work all ways. But uh, but yeah, I, I always re- respected Saltus because he never lied to me as far as I know, at least. Mm-hmm. And um, he understood both sides. Of the- <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was very good about yeah, it. Yeah, if maybe, you know. maybe he did. He I just so well, though. And uh, he just he just understood both sides of the business. And, and sometimes that's rare. And I appreciated that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And he was the same way with me. And I think there are probably more than we acknowledge on here sometimes. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people um, it, uh, on the PR side of this business that are the same way. Yes, that, agreed. Um, yeah, you, you, they say, if they have an issue with something you write, they say their piece and then no grudge is held. Um, they, if it's a case where you're just doing your job rather than you know, crossing a line or something like that. And I, I, I put Bill Hoffheimer in that and Ben Cafardo, yeah. Josh Krulowitz, all, uh, all kinds of people over yeah, that's there. At ESPN, Chad, that's but, Chad Finn talking, by the way, not Richard Deitch, by the way. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think Mike set the bar for that in a lot of ways with people. And, um, it frustrated me when this happened and you wrote about him. We, we all, uh, all of our outlets wrote about him being one of the people that lost a job and being there 43 years. And a lot of the response I got was, well, tell me when there's some on air people. And yeah, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, but that's, you're not going to be, you're not surprised. Yeah. By the way, bring back Harry Potts, my favorite, who was always exactly like Saltus in that. Like you may not have loved everything she said, but she was a straight shooter and much respect to her, uh, has moved on to, I, I believe a better world. Um, but that the, the you know it's interesting chad because like the um that initial round at espn the athletic didn't want to do a story on it and um and i th- oh really yeah, wow and it was interesting like um and maybe then you know and i think the the reasoning was that uh, and either right or wrong you can argue it but like that you know should it be tied to either someone who is well known or should it be tied to like the larger sort of business story when all of the cuts are done? And I, I can understand that argument on that. But the reality is that like I think if it's like Joe Buck, people are going to read and like react. If it's like a producer who put in 25 years, who quite frankly is probably more important than Joe Buck, no disrespect to Joe. It's just the interest isn't the same, right? Which sucks, but that's that's the reality of it. Um. All right. I didn't think we would go as long on that, but I guess we did. Last one. Uh, Austin, you know one of the great viewership things about the Kentucky Derby for me 
I believe this is the case, is that it's the only event on television that's a sporting event, like 15 plus million viewers where more women watch than men. Am I correct about that? Isn't that always the case? Like, I think uh, so. It has that sort of stat. I mean, that's why you see, you know, a lot of the, a lot of female focused elements to it, whether it's, you know, on the hats or whatever, there's a lot yeah, of advertising. Mean, is that really that female? Are, fo- I mean, I don't know. I feel like they're, I don't want to be genderizing here. Aren't they just doing, trying to just do the celebrityization of it? There's a lot of that too, but it, you know, it's not uh, gymnastics, but for an event that is not a women's event like that, like a women's gymnastics event or in the Olympics or something. Yeah. Like I, I think it has a heavily female audience. Chad, are you interested in what, do you watch the Derby every year? Just as a consumer, as a casual consumer, consumer fan. I do, but it's funny you mentioned the the appeal to women because uh, it's usually either my wife or my daughter that mentions that it's on before yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I feel, I mean, I should know this off the top. I probably should have done research. Uh, apologies to NBC Sports PR. I believe it's like 51% 49 where it's the, the, the whatever they do there, they're both the race portion and the seven hours of pregame. I think it over it, it the 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 index is a little bit more of a pop on women than men, where in like the other sports that draw those kind of numbers, you know, like in the tens of millions of viewership, it's usually men have the higher percentage. Um, well, ignore so the race. They also do some programming, like I think, still on like a Bravo. So you know, oh, around the derby. Yeah. Do you know so if the Olympics? Do, do you Austin? Do you know if the Olympics are that as well? If it's more women, I guarantee for some. You no, know, I'm not sure. Some I'm events, not sure. though, I, be, I bet you for some events it is right. I would guess for like figure skating. Yeah, like gymna- I would think the I would think that gymnastics draws more that women on a percentage me. basis yeah. for than men. It's just a guess. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll we'll we'll do the the math on this and uh, figure that out. But yeah, I'm into it. I love horse racing. I work with. Yeah. Um, the guy I consider the best horse racing writer of his generation in Tim Layden. When I was very young reporter at SI, got to work with Bill Knack, who I think is the greatest horse racing writer ever. He wrote uh, um, some incredible stuff about Secretariat. And the Globe, Chad, has a long history and great tradition of writing about um, some of these big races. I don't know if you guys still send somebody uh, now, but for many, many years, you, you, you guys always staffed that one. Well, our our sports editor for a long time, Joe uh, Joe Sullivan, who uh, I guess he retired about five years ago, um, but he was a he was a huge horse racing guy, and uh, so it always remained in prominence with us. I think I think sometimes we send a columnist, and I don't know if that's the plan this year, but it still still gets big play in the paper. What about you, Austin? Does any, anybody have the boondoggle from SBJ on this one? I don't think we have anybody that will be a Churchill. Oran can't convince Abe. Hey, let's let me do a, <laughs> let me do a Marshan Oran from the track or no? Yeah, I, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if John's going to be there. That's a good. I feel like that would be a great gig for a uh, like a sports business publication because of just think how much money is floating around there. Well, next year it might be different. You have the 150th running, and I, they're rolling out a lot of new facility upgrades, yeah. a lot of special things. So we'll see. What about what about putting in for the Austin Carp uh, trip for that one? Oh, you can't see me winking here. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> All right, Abe, if you're listening, Abe, if you're listening, and I would say that's under thirty percent that you are. Uh, send uh, send Austin to uh, Louisville <laughs> next year. That that sounds good. All right, love the plug. 
You're welcome. Boston Globe sports media writer Chad Finn. Check out all his work at the Boston Globe. Follow him on Twitter. He is uh, edited. What is the name of the book that you edited, Chad? That uh, the, the Red Sox book? Let's give a plug for that. Ah, the uh, Boston Globe story, the Red Sox compilation of all our coverage for the year. So we may be working on a Celtics one as well. All right. So if you like Yaz and Lynn and Rice and Bernie Carlson. Butch Hobson. Butch Nomar, Hobson and everybody. Troy Nixon. Yep. Every, all those Red Sox. <laughs> Check that book out. Austin Carp is the Sports Business Journal Assistant Managing Editor slash Digital. Follow his work on that site. And again, as I always say many, many times on Twitter, he is like, uh, to me, one of the Mount Rushmore people. If you're interested in sports media viewership, uh, um, like people who really marinate in this data every day, um, he's on that list, uh, the short list of people in the country who do that. All right, Chad and Austin, thank you as always for uh, joining me on the Sports Media Podcast, and we will have you back on soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. All right, uh, back in the studio, my thanks to Austin and Chad for uh, popping on for another engaging conversation. If you like this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and a note about what you like that, uh, that helps us stay in business, as the expression goes. A couple of podcasts this week are earlier. NFL draft expert Daniel Jeremiah, uh, probably the best working television draft analyst today. And we went into deep into into his process to prepare for the event, what it's like after the draft. Would he consider ever uh, returning back to work for the NFL? He was a scout for a while. And uh, so I think you'll enjoy that conversation. On Monday, Tim Layden and Dane O'Neill on the challenges and joys of covering the Kentucky Derby. So if uh, you've ever been interested in what it's like to cover the Derby, those are two of the best. Did a, did a uh, podcast on the NFL Draft and ESPN Layoffs with uh, CBS Sports NFL analyst Amy Trask and Washington Post staff writer Ben Strauss. We did some NHL stuff with ESPN's Ryan Clark. Analyst Michael Nathanson was on this podcast in April on the future of sports meteorites. Alan Shipnuck, Howard Beck, Ryan Rucco, and um, many others on this podcast that uh, if you go to the archives, I think you'll enjoy I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at uh, Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.